Hello and welcome to Talk to the Paw, a podcast that celebrates dogs for simply being wagtastic. I'm Caroline Bartley and with the help of canine nerd Scott Andrews, we'll consider how and why these fabulous animals make such a huge contribution to our lives. Leaves are falling from the trees and the days are getting shorter here in the United Kingdom. It's the season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, according to the poet Keats. But despite the changing seasons, some things remain reassuringly familiar. Episode 6 has the usual array of tricks and treats to keep you entertained. So grab a large handful of all that Halloween confectionery. The kids won't notice, honestly. And nestle yourself into a comfy chair for the next 30 minutes or so. You know how it goes by now. Let's get started with the twilight bark. We're featuring a topic in this episode which is quite distressing. So before we begin, I'm issuing an advisory that the content we'll be discussing may be upsetting to some people. So if you happen to be listening with little ones in your household, then perhaps it's best to come back to this part of the podcast at a later point. Warning over, let's begin. The BBC, York Press, Daily Record and the Southwest Farmer are all reporting distressing incidents of dogs being poisoned in varying localities, some of these cases actually resulting in animal fatalities. Pet owners, local authorities, animal charities and police have been placed on alert as investigations into the various incidents begin to establish the exact circumstances of what's happened in each case. Thankfully, statistics I managed to garner seem to suggest that the incidence of dog poisoning appears to be quite rare, but it is nevertheless an extremely harrowing situation. In 2019, one person was convicted of administering poison in England, that's according to the RSPCA, and in 2016, the charity received 368 reports of dogs being poisoned. Scott, this is a very, very difficult topic to discuss, but it does need highlighting. It's an incredibly tragic topic and incredibly troubling. Obviously, for the people involved, it, you know, it's a horrendous incident. But one of the biggest problems that we're faced with when dealing with poisoning is that no matter how rigorous the investigation, often the cause is never determined. So what are the signs of poisoning in a dog? Very often it depends on exactly what the dog was poisoned with. But certainly you'll see things like vomiting, diarrhoea, seizures, um, blood in the stool, lethargy, loss of appetite... Um, visible bruising, nosebleeds, irregular heartbeat, and one of the more unusual ones is an inability to urinate. Poisoning can occur deliberately, we all know that, but it can also happen accidentally. So how at risk are our dogs? The difficulty is, as you see when you read these stories, a lot of the stories refer to incidents that took place when the dog and the owner were out on a walk together. And that's probably the most at-risk environment you take the dog. Certainly in your own home, it's much easier to control the factors that come about on a daily basis. Now, there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of poisons that can impact dogs differently. Some you'll find in the home, some you'll find in the kitchen, some you'll find in the garden. Unfortunately, this would require an entire episode on its own. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do is just focus on a few things that you might encounter when you're out for a walk. Yeah, so just narrow it down for us. Let's draw our focus in. Yes. And one of the things that surprises people the most is the number of common flowers or plants 
that are incredibly dangerous to our dogs. Mm -hmm. Take, for example, azaleas and rhododendrons, very common plants many of us have in our gardens, and they happen to be highly poisonous. It just Mm -hmm. takes a few leaves of these plants to um, make our dogs badly ill. Another common one is a hedging plant you'll find in many public parks, is a cherry laurel. This is probably the most common cause of poisoning in dogs. Mm -hmm. And as I say, you can find it in many public spaces. And it's because what do they ingest? The leaves? They ingest flowers, seeds of some sort? Yeah, it's the leaves. It's almost always the leaves. You know, a lot of the times when we're out for a walk with our dogs, if we're blatantly honest, when they're off the leash, our eyes aren't on them all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is where the danger stems from. The list goes on. It includes things such as um, castor oil, bush. Unfortunately, the oil cakes are used in fertilizer. The troubling aspect here is these little cakes look very, very appealing to dogs. Then, of course, there's every Boy Scout's favourite. Mm-hmm. Conkers. <laughs> oh. You know, we all know that the time of year you see that the conkers and acorns are all over the of place. Of course, yes. Uh-huh. You know, they're harmless. Our kids pick them up. We might take yeah. them home. The only thing is they're toxic to dogs. Okay. Uh-huh. In rare cases, they can be the worst kind of toxic. They cause stomach problems, um, vomiting, intestinal blockages. Another one, what's the flower of wows? Well, that's the daffodil. Beautiful, beautiful daffodil. Many of us grow in springtime. Unfortunately, every single part of a daffodil is toxic to a dog. Mm-hmm. Planting season and you're putting them in the ground and you've got the bulbs yeah. on the ground beside you and the dogs are running around the garden. If the dog was to eat the bulb, especially if it's a small dog, it would kill it. As a keen gardener, whenever I'm planting, digging things up and there are bulbs around, I'm always very, very conscious of the fact that my little dog could ingest something. But no matter how careful you are, there's always that risk there in the back of your mind that maybe there's a stray bulb that has escaped or do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And it runs further than bulbs. One of the probably most surprising things that I learned when researching this segment mm-hmm. It's not just daffodils, okay, mm-hmm. but the water that daffodils have been in. I tend to have random pots and baskets around the garden, plastic tubs with old water in it, simply for ease of watering the plants. And you're making me very scared now. I understand that completely. Jumping back into my list, so the burniums, is that right? Laburnums. Laburnums, mm-hmm. or excuse me, getting all that in there. Mm-hmm. Now, this is one unique plant in the sense that, again, like the daffodil, All parts are dangerous. Now, the seeds especially, but even the bark, even twigs, they would all be hazardous to your dog. Uh Yew trees. Yes. Uh Now, again, nearly all parts of the yews, even dry chippings. Okay. But the worst part with the yews is the leaves. Uh It only takes 30 grams to kill a dog. That's not a lot. That's really a tiny mouthful. Mm-hmm. The last plant that I can think of, that, that, again, I don't think it is that much more common in the garden, but you do find it in bouquets, so mm-hmm. maybe you'll throw it away one day. Mm-hmm. Lily of the Valley. It contains a toxin that causes vomiting, diarrhea, heart problems, fits, and collapsing. Which looks so pretty, but is in fact lethal to dogs. Not just dogs, to cats as well. Oh, no. Obviously, yeah, we've been talking about flowers and plants, and I, I imagine you think about gardens and you think about public spaces like parks. There could be herbicides. Um, pesticides, yeah. mm-hmm. slug pellets. Yeah. Then you think of you know the common insects that also can be mm-hmm. quite dangerous: bees, wasps, and yeah, hornets. yeah, yeah. All the the stings associated with those. Here you are. We have a little wildlife question for you. I know you like your Edinburgh. Okay. 
Can you name the one poisonous snake that resides in the UK? The one poisonous snake? Well, the only snake that I know of that resides in the in the UK is an adder, but I'm not even sure if that's poisonous. It is indeed. Is it? Okay. If your dog happens to be at a distance and your dog does get bitten by an adder, you wouldn't have any idea. You know, it could be gone off in the long grass or wherever. Yeah. Now, the symptoms to look out for are swelling, bleeding, fever and seizures. Okay. Mm-hmm. And last but not least is actually something that baffled vets when I lived in the Netherlands. Right. There was a, a period in one of the years I was living there where a number of dogs become ill after walking in the forest just south of Amsterdam. And mm-hmm. there were paranoid media reports talking about poisonings, you know, is it human poisoning, oh, sure. is it someone yes. with a vendetta? Yes, uh-huh. And eventually they discovered it was caused by blue-green algae. By algae? Yes. Now, this blue-green algae is deadly. It kills pets quickly. Again, you'd see vomiting and diarrhea, breathing difficulties. You'd see fits. Now, this algae, you tend to see late spring to early autumn. The the thing to consider is, if you have a dog that likes dipping in and out the water, and Uh there are many breeds that like going for a swim, especially on a hot day, Mm -hmm. you have to be ultra-cautious. Yeah. Now, personally, if I'm going to let my dog in for a drink, if I see any algae, on top of the water. Yeah. If I see that the water's still. Yeah, that's never usually a good sign, is it? No. Yeah. For it to be fresher water, you need to see at least the current, like the water moving by. So what should you do if you think your dog has been poisoned? What steps should you take? To borrow a line from Dad's Army, don't panic. Don't panic. Easier said than done, though, <laughs> if your dog is, is swelling bleeding, perhaps fitting. Obviously. Yeah. And, you know, your priority is to remove the dog from the scene. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Because you don't know what's there, you don't know what's been the cause. Mm-hmm. And then contact your vet immediately. Mm-hmm. Inform them of when it happened and where it happened. Mm-hmm. If by any chance you happen to have recognised that your dog was eating something before, mm-hmm. if you can, bag it up, take it with you. And then follow your vet's advice. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is, there isn't such a thing as general advice for this topic because different poisons affect the body in different ways. Yeah, there's no standard protocol as such because each poison will elicit a different response in the dog. Absolutely. Okay. We were talking um, about leaves, things happening in the garden, susceptibility of dogs to general snuffling around and rooting around. When we're taking our dogs out for a walk, when we're letting them loose in the garden, practically how can we keep them safe? When you're at home, you can manage the environment. Mm -hmm. Now, there are still dangerous chemicals in the cupboards, there's still chocolate, there's still different foods that can be poisonous, but you've got a better sense of control. When you are out for a walk, your priority has to be environment management. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, what this constitutes, so for instance, if I'm taking my dog somewhere new, that very first time, even if it's a forest or a beach, I am not going to let him off the leash. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is I want to look around. I want to assess what's there, assess the hazards. So I can know my way around and that will enable me to better protect my dog for the next time that we return. Mm -hmm. There are certain commands or exercises, so to speak, that you can train with your dog, that you can train for safety. Mm-hmm. My own dogs do a few different tricks, but they also do have safety drills that we do use. Mm-hmm. The most obvious one would be recall. Okay. Uh-huh. If your dog does not come back when you call it, when it's off the leash, yeah. you shouldn't be letting your dog off the yeah. leash. Mm-hmm. Then there are a number of um, other common exercises, such as leave, when you want your dog to back away. Okay. Drop, if your dog has something in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Wait is different from stay for me. If I'm getting my dog to stay... I will only ever do that face-to-face. Okay. 
But wait to my dog is when my dog is walking beside me or walking in front of me and I want the dog to stop. Mm-hmm. What about using the word no? The problem with using the word no is that it has no meaning at all to dogs okay. whatsoever. Right. Okay. A lot of people do use no with their dogs, but they use it in so many contexts. That the dog finds it hard to distinguish what it actually means then. Yeah, yeah you know, okay. you might say no to weeing on the carpet, yeah. no to eating the child, um, no to sniffing the postman's bottom. Okay. You know, there are so many different no's. It's not easy and it can be a little bit frustrating for a dog. It needs to be action specific so that the dog understands. Well, yeah, exactly. When you make it action specific, you can create artificial drills to repeat, 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 repeat. Okay. To build a, you know, a strengthened response in the dog. Mm-hmm. And this, honestly, it's the best way to keep safe. And I beg of every person who says, you know, dogs should be dogs. You know, I'm not going to train my dog. Now, you don't have to train your dog to become a circus performer, mm-hmm. but you must train your dog to be safe. Yeah, and a basic level of discipline is advisable, really, for the dog's safety, first and foremost. Absolutely. You're doing it for their benefit. So, you know, to summarise, if you want to keep your dog safe, don't just trust and the fact that things are going to be okay, train your dog. If you train your dog um, using these safe commands that I've been discussing, your dog has the best chance of responding to you. You have the best chance of keeping your dog safe when you're out there in the wild world. I've left the comfort of my presenter's chair to wander down to the lab at Paw HQ and time to see what our canine nerd has been researching for this episode. Scott, what's under the microscope? Well, there's been a new study that has attempted to map out personality changes brought on by the passage of time. All right, so take us through the study then. Right, it was published in Scientific Reports by, oh, God forbid, this is where my linguistic skills are going to be massively challenged. Go on then, I'll try not to laugh. Borbala Turkson, or Turkun. Now, she's a researcher at the... Oh, now I'm seeing symbols that I don't think anyone should be able to read. I could only guess at Utfus Lorand University in Budapest. Okay, if anyone... Uh, who's from Budapest and who is listening to this and cringing, we we sincerely apologise. Absolutely, massively. And on my behalf, I'm thoroughly ashamed. But at least I had a go. Right, back to the study. Okay. So mm-hmm. they recruited 217 Border Collies from, and I love this name, the Clever Dog Database in Vienna. <laughs> now, Never was a database so aptly named oh, i love it anyhow <laughs> the dogs ranged from six months to 15 years old mm-hmm. now the dogs were evaluated over a series of tests known as the vienna dog personality test what's that about then right so it's a series of tests which explore a few different things okay mm-hmm. um it's broken down into about six different parts okay mm-hmm. the first part is an exploration test so the dogs explore a room with different objects in for mm-hmm. one minute whilst the owner ignores the dog then the next test is the frustration test oh we've yeah, we've all been there <laughs> well I, to be honest i find this extremely frustrating mm-hmm. because what they do is they put a little piece of sausage on a string and they dangle it just out of reach of the dog oh, no. for one minute oh, dear. Now, myself, that would make me crazy. And then there's a novel object test. Mm-hmm. 
So they have this little toy that moves on its own and makes a sound, and they leave the dog to interact with that. Mm -hmm. Then there's the ball playing test, so they get the owner to play fetch. They just repeat it three times. Then there's the obedience test, but it has a little bit of a twist. Mm -hmm. So the owner runs through sit, lie down, stay, come, whilst an experimenter in the room makes rustling noises with, a, I presume, a paper bag or something. All right, so this is an attempt to distract the dog, is it? Yes. Okay, right, okay. And then finally, there's the problem-solving test, uh-huh. where the owner shows the dog a piece of sausage, places it in a bin, places the lid down, lifts off the lid uh-huh. to show the dog how to do the task, uh-huh. and then they leave the dog for one minute to see if the dog will repeat the performance. Okay. It's almost like a Krypton factor for doggies. Absolutely. Oh, now, bless. four years later, the researchers invited um, the living dogs, or whoever could make it back, and... Only 37 of the dogs um, actually showed up. Significantly smaller group from the first group. Yes. Okay. you know. So this is a group that was 217. It yeah. went down to 37. Okay. Mm-hmm. The findings then, what were they and what does this show us? My first instinct was to say that, you know, it's quite obvious. They found that dogs that were the most active and curious in the first test mm-hmm. were the most active and curious in the second test. Okay, so no change there. Mm-hmm. Yes, the only thing was that individually each dog was less curious than they had been, if right. that makes sense. Yes, uh-huh. The dog's attentiveness and their ability to solve problems changed quite a lot. So the problem-solving ability continued to improve up until six years of age before remaining stable. Mm-hmm. Um, the interest in novel items didn't change so much in early life. But at around three years old, the dog's curiosity decreased. And finally, the ability to tolerate frustration. So remember the sausage on a string? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this remained the same as did the desire to socialise with other dogs okay. and people. Okay. So the findings then illustrate what exactly? Essentially, dogs continue to develop mentally when you think of cognitive function with problem solving. Mm-hmm. That cognitive function is still strong up until six years old. Mm-hmm. But there isn't a noticeable um, decrease. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you would imagine that a dog would be much more interested in new items when it was a puppy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it actually continued until three years old. Okay. Cast your mind back, if you will, all the way back a number of weeks ago, the pilot episode. We discussed dog aging. Does this study correlate to what we discussed then? Maybe it has no correlation at all. Interestingly, it's actually quite surprising. So to remind you or... To reference it for anyone who didn't listen, in the mm-hmm. pilot episode, we discussed a study that has disproved the idea that a dog, well, one year of a dog's life is the equivalent to seven human years. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we found um, an incredibly complicated equation was required, mm-hmm. along with a scientific calculator and immeasurable patience mm-hmm. to calculate a dog's age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just referenced the um, problem solving and you know, the cognitive ability of yeah. dogs. So, when you think in terms of the age study that this shows that dogs cognitively improve into their 60s oh (laughs) so if you remember a five-year-old dog was the equivalent of 60 human years by their dna yeah Mm -hmm. a seven-year-old dog would be 62 now this study suggests that the cognitive ability in terms of problem solving um continued to improve and attentiveness continued to improve until the dog was six so you know it would make a dog 61 Mm mm-hmm and I suppose the other point is curiosity. So the interest in novel objects. You know, I just mentioned that you'd imagine it. Puppies would be the most interested in new things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, we know that these dogs continued to be interested in novel items until they were free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going back to the age study, a three-year-old dog by DNA 
is 49 years old. That's right, yeah. Obviously, I don't want to embarrass you at all, Caroline, but how interested are you in novel items? Honestly, the age I'm at at the moment, really the only three things I'm interested in are uh, tea, chocolate and red wine. (laughs) Those are about the only things that still get me excited after all this time and I've been here quite a while. The study then, just extrapolating for that, and maybe this is me kind of going off in a slight tangent, does it or should it make the future brighter for the older puppies? You would hope so. However, I suppose the first thing to consider is that this study was based upon the smartest of breeds. They've taken Border Collies. We all know that Border Collies are incredibly bright, incredibly agile, inquisitive. Yes, so just because a six-year-old Border Collie is able to do cognitive gymnastics... The same may well not be true of a beagle or a chihuahua. Realistically, we would need more testing to have any idea about the relevance of this study. Mm -hmm. So the cognitive skills, the cognitive functions you're saying um, are breed dependent? No. (laughs) Just to contradict myself nicely. (laughs) Okay, right. (laughs) Right. In my own experience from working with dogs, it is the, the dog's own experience and the stimulation that you give a dog in its early life that tends to create intellect. Okay. Now, I have read other studies that have suggested that brain size in a dog finishes development at around two years old. Mm-hmm. So if you've had a dog living in a home that he hasn't been shown attention, he hasn't had stimulation mm-hmm. in his formative years, he's less likely to be a doggy Einstein. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, if you take a younger dog and you feel its life full of enrichment games and scent work and you know, you're constantly offering problems for it to solve, mm-hmm. the chances are that it's going to grow up to be an absolute doggy genius. Mm-hmm. Realistically, what this does tell us about older dogs is that the older the dog is, the calmer it tends to be. Mm-hmm. And logically, the older dog has more sort of experience to draw upon. Mm-hmm. There's less new situations, less novel items. And all these different activities that tend to distract a dog are quite mundane. Once a dog reaches a certain point in its life. Mm-hmm. All this is highlighted is things that we knew to be true, but what would be wonderful would be if they extended this study to include a wider variation of dog. And hopefully with larger numbers of dogs, because that would tell us just how um, deep the truth of this study lies. We want this dog cast to be as interactive an experience as possible, so please get in touch. You can talk to the paw on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash talk to the paw pod twitter at talk to the paw pod find us on instagram at talk to the paw pod email info at talk to the uk all the podcasts are available to listen and download on apple podcast spotify and google podcasts gadgets Gastronomy. Uh. Picture the scene. The family's watching TV all cosy and comfy, and the doorbell rings. The kids shout, Mom, the door! To which you nonchalantly say, Nah, it's okay. It's only the dog. Too bizarre to be true? Apparently not. Scott, reveal the gadget, if you please. It's the Pebble Smart Doggy Doorbell. <laughs> That sounds like a tongue twister. Oh, Lord, what have we got ourselves in for this time? Okay, you better explain what this is then. So, it's a doorbell. Okay, (laughs) ding dong. Right, 
okay, the clever thing, what they've done, they've attached like a a yellow target disc to the front of a doorbell. And this is pressure activated. So a dog can touch this disc with its nose or with its paw and it will ring the doorbell. Additionally, on top of the doorbell, they've actually got a treat dispenser. So when the dog hits the doorbell, then a treat should fall out from the doorbell. Now these doorbells, they can be placed inside the house or outside the house. Okay, uh-huh. The idea is to eventually train the dog to use the doorbell when it's leaving or entering. And it, it did remind me when I saw it of a slightly older device called a poochie bell. While you're explaining all of that, I have all sorts of mad mental images floating around. Maybe unfair on my behalf, I think this sounds like a great big gimmick. <laughs> you're laughing at me now as if to say, no, it's not a great big gimmick. Well, you know, conceptually sound, right? Imagine this situation. You've got an elderly dog. Yes, guilty. Right. So your front doorbell rings, not your poochie bell, but your your front door rings, and you go to um, to open the door, and you know there's the postman. You have a nice little chat as you're getting your letters or your parcel or whatever. From a socially distant perspective, though, oh, let's obviously, add, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you come back into your kitchen or wherever the dog was, and you find an ocean of urine sitting there. Oh, ble- yeah, that's an all too familiar tale with me. Yeah, one of the issues we have, and you know, the same can be said of puppies, is. Dogs not being able to tell us that they need to go and do their business. Mm-hmm. The problem is, it, you know, it's such an abstract concept for a dog to try to teach a dog, okay, you need to use a doorbell, knock on the door, do this, do that, to, to get in on or out. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not exactly straightforward. What's wrong with just letting your dog out at regular intervals, say every hour or so, to do its business and then bring it back into the house? I mean, shouldn't you be doing that as best practice anyway? Obviously, the easier it is for a dog to actually go and evacuate its bits and pieces, the better. But you're a human. Have you ever had a, a bag kebab or a spicy curry on a Saturday night? I know what you're trying to say. Yes, I have absolutely had an upset tummy. And, uh, and situ- you- situations have arisen where I need to make, I think, what would be called an emergency toilet stop. So that's one situation, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Your body doesn't always give you warning as to when you need to go. That's true. Uh, another typical situation, and again with puppies and older dogs, when the doorbell rang, maybe your dog was asleep and you thought to yourself, oh, you know, <laughs> Fido's asleep, it'll be no problem. Yeah. And one of the most common times dogs do need to go is as soon as they wake up. The issue here, more than any, is if you can take this abstract concept and you can teach a dog to indicate when it needs to go out, then you've got a better chance of not having these accidents at home. But the question, and the true question is, how you do that? Yeah, that's just what I was coming on to. You talk about this this target device being placed on top of the doorbell and a treat dispenser and all of that sort of thing. How on earth do you go about training a dog to use this if this seems like something that any of our listeners would be interested in? I'm sure there'll be some. Who wouldn't want that dog on, knocking on the door when you've got some friends over? It'll make them very, very confused indeed. Mm-hmm. But, okay, first and foremost, it's incredibly tricky. I watched the promo video for the um, Pebble Smart Doggy Doorbell. Mm-hmm. Rolls uh, off the tongue, that, doesn't it? Oh, it just does. And, and when they were training a dog to use it, they were actually using a clicker, and every time the dog pressed the doorbell, it got a clicker and it got a treat. And when I watched this, my first thought was, Okay, granted, they're teaching the dog to use like this pressure pad, mm-hmm. but how is that being connected to the door opening? It's really hard to know how each individual dog would need to be trained to use it. A lot depends on the character, 
and the experience, for example, my Scotty freely uses his paws and uses his nose to mark things. Okay. But yeah. it's still an abstract concept. I, yes. I suspect the best way to do it would be to encourage the dog to use the pressure plate and as soon as it does, open the door and let that be the reward. Yes, yeah. But again, because it's such a concept, it might be tricky. I personally suspect some dogs will get it and some dogs won't. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem could be you might inadvertently teach the dog that you want them to ring the bell. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. You're explaining that and I'm thinking the scenarios, the opportunities for this to go hideously wrong (laughs) and throw up a range of unintended consequences are plentiful. Funny story for you, actually. When I was growing up, believe this or not, any of my family are listening, they will recognise this story and chortle heartily at the memories. When I was growing up, we had a cat that was able to use the knocker on our front door. (laughs) I know, sounds bizarre. This is true, hand on heart. We didn't actually know for a number of weeks, possibly months from memory, until one of my late brother's friends was up visiting the house and it was a little black cat. We had numerous animals when we were growing up. Can't remember the name of the cat at the time. All I remember is the front door would knock. Someone would go to the door. There'd be nobody there, but the cat would be there. A cat comes in. Didn't think anything of it. One of my late brother's friends was visiting. They were outside in the car talking. Cat comes to the door. Cat stands up on its hind legs, lifts the door knocker. Somebody opens the door. Nobody there, but the cat's there. The cat goes in and he says to my brother, your cat just rang the knocker on your door. And my brother was like, what? But yeah, and we saw it for ourselves. (laughs) Sorry, I digress. Carry on. Now, that that is quite remarkable. I think that's more witchcraft than anything else. Oh, it it was. It wasn't by any chance a black cat. (laughs) It absolutely was a black cat, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, what I was going to say, right, the success really depends on the the dog's character, okay? And, you know, when people talk of dogs' characters, they think about personality. I actually want to think more about certain behavioural characteristics of a dog. Okay. So well, let's take dog number one. I'm going to call the Sir Francis Drake or the Great Explorer. Okay. Now, this is a dog that loves going outside, that has access to a window, mm-hmm. so can see movement, grass moving, cats passing by, whatever. Okay. So every time it sees movement, it's going to be running back well, to the back door. Ding dong! Mm-hmm. Ding dong! Yeah. It's not going to be doing it to eliminate because it would already have worked out. Ha you know, that's the gateway to everything good. Uh-huh. Or, for example, the plight pooch, like Sir Macho, uh-huh. my, <laughs> my own young man. Now, when he wants to come back in the house, he just stands by the back door. Yes, he's a silent little popper, isn't he? Yeah, he, he won't bark, he won't scratch. He'll just stand there, sit there, even if it's a warmer day, they down. Yeah, he'll just wait. Yeah. However, however long it takes. I'm, you know, I'm quietly convinced I could spend at least 40 hours trying to teach him to use this doorbell. Yeah. And still we won't. He's a gentleman. Yeah. And then, for example, I can think of a certain Sheltie who's a people lover. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you let her out the back door, she goes and stands by the back door the whole time. Yeah. Like, are we going in yet? Are we going in yet? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 yeah. no. If no, you happen no. to be outside, she'll be looking at you, looking at the door, showing you with a glance. I want to go in. 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 And I can imagine, you know, if we had one of these doorbells, all you would hear is ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. So one of the problems is first assess your dog's character because you might well end up being driven round the bend by a dog hammering on the doorbell. You will be a slave to your dog's wishes and commands, yes, rather than it being used for the intended purpose. 
That's it. So, as I can say, it's a beautiful idea, and I've not had direct experience with it, so I don't know whether it's possible. Um, I would love to hear from anyone who has about the good and bad experiences of giving your dog a doorbell. This device you can put inside your house, outside your house. They even do double packs, so you can have one for going out and one for going in. Oh, God forbid. (laughs) Now, I don't know if they've got different (laughs) bell sounds, but in or out. And please, if anyone does have experience of this device and has used it, as Scott says, if you have um, any experience of operating this or something similar, please get in touch. We would love to hear how you got on. Fantastic Wolf this time round is a pint-sized pooch with the biggest of hearts, and she comes all the way from the US of A. Mackenzie, a little chihuahua from New York, was named the 2020 American Hero Dog at a gala bash in Los Angeles. This tiny tot weighing in at just four pounds fought off competition from over 400 other entrants to trot off with the top prize at the American Humane Hero Dog Awards 10th anniversary celebration. Mackenzie had a challenging start to life. She was born with a cleft palate and developed aspiration pneumonia, which almost killed her. But despite all of this and her inability to bark, she spent her life nurturing other rescue animals and teaching school children the importance of kindness. This Chihuahua super pup is a doggy mentor to baby animals who can't stay with their birth mums because of specific medical issues. And she's nursed and cleaned, cared for and comforted countless kittens and puppies, a mouse, a goat, a squirrel, even a Great Dane. Mackenzie also spends her time visiting schools, teaching children valuable and vital life skills like patience and kindness when caring for animals. Competition organisers were in awe of this powerhouse pooch and praised her as a shining example of how rescuing animals often helps save more than just one life. A huge well done to little Mackenzie. A perfect example of how good things come in the smallest of packages. And for your outstanding achievements as a doggy foster mum and mentor, a very well-deserved round of applause. Remember, you can nominate your own Wagtastic Wolf. Get in touch and tell us all about that very special dog who's made a difference to your life. Contact us on Facebook or Twitter, Talk to the Paw Pod. Email info at talktothepaw.co.uk. Your stories and comments, questions and suggestions are all welcome. That's all for now. Thanks so much for your company. Until next time, goodbye.